0: Welcome to the Field of Grace podcast. My name is Anna Parrish, and I'm so excited that you are here. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to finally get an episode out this summer. It is definitely long overdue, so thank you for being patient. I have had the sweetest time in Montana, and I can't wait to tell y'all everything I've learned. I will definitely do another episode covering that solely in the fall. Until then, you can keep up with my everyday life by following my podcast Instagram account at Field of Grace. But this week, I interviewed Tanya Nicholson. Tanya has been a mentor to me this summer as I've walked through this new season in a completely different place, alone and 2,000 miles away from home. She has been an advocate for me, been a friend, she's listened well, and welcomed me with open arms. Today, we will be talking about church hurt and what remodeling her faith has looked like. She is passionate and wise, intentional and thoughtful. And I know y'all will come to appreciate her as much as I do. I'll also be leaving her contact information in today's episode's description. So she would love if you would reach out or contact her. If you have any questions, she would love to answer those. So let's go ahead and dive in. Tanya, go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Sure. So I'm a self employed bookkeeper. And uh, here in West Yellowstone, I help coordinate the digital ministries for the First Baptist Church, which really just means like I'm the kind of the tech guru, I guess. <laughs> so um, help help get the services online, and then I'm also a CBF West coordinating council. I'm on that as their treasurer, and also on the ministries council for CBF Global. And I was born and raised in North Georgia uh, in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Now live in Island Park, Idaho, just about 30 minutes from the west entrance to Yellowstone National Park. And this year, in the fall, I'll be attending Baptist Seminary of Kentucky virtually uh, to start working on a Master's of Divinity degree. And it's going to be kind of a slow journey because I am planning to work throughout that. So it's going to take me some time. Uh, Fun fact, let's see. My husband is is always my default fun fact <laughs> that's what everyone loves to talk about so my husband is a bear biologist which means he works for Idaho Fish and Game does conflict resolution between humans and bears and also like traps tags and tracks grizzly bears for research Early childhood years was spent in a Southern Baptist church where my grandfather was a deacon. You know, I did the whole Sunday school learning the Bible stories and characters, doing art projects, and then, you know, most importantly to me, as you'll see a little later on when we talk, important to me was getting to put that gold star by my name for attendance. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, after Sunday school, always the, the memory of just heading to that f- my family's pew. I don't know if it's the same everywhere, but definitely in church back home, kind of each family had their pew and... Um, And then, yeah, so things were great in those days. Just as a child, you know, my biggest concern was, Every year the Christmas play roles like once again being the angel or the star yeah, <laughs> when all I wanted was Mary, yes. you know? <laughs> like I just wanted that role of Mary and never got it. So um that was the the biggest dismay in those days. Um and then yeah, so that was the church that I kind of first made the commitment to to follow Jesus and the thing I remember most about that day that's really kind of been Uh, a grounding moment for me was just the overwhelming love I felt from each of those people um, as they come around, as that tradition did afterwards, and shake your hand and give you a hug. And I just felt such love. And so that, like I said, really helped ground me uh, and helped me hang on at times when everything else was kind of in question for me. And then in high school, I started attending an independent Baptist church. We attended really a lot of Baptist churches throughout the country, but especially in the Southeast while my husband was in college and graduate school. And then even after that, he was seasonal. So we went to a lot of places. And, you know, I think I was very uh, drawn to that because they seemed to have such certainty. They had all the right answers for knowing what it took to make God happy. And I wanted to make him proud again again. I think that's kind of going back to that gold star thing. <laughs> um, so without even realizing it, I kind of began to take on a legalistic mindset. And I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, but I thought church attendance, good behavior, and right beliefs made me just a little bit better than other people who didn't measure up to those same standards. And I'm not blaming anyone else for that. That's just how it manifested itself in me. You know, I've said before, I got... View of God was a lot like Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was always watching to, you know, put you on the nicer naughty list. And, um, and I thought what he wanted out of me most was performance. And you know, that's my performance was how I could get him to love me more. But problems arose when, consequently, when I didn't live up to those standards, it felt like he loved me less. So yeah, and in many ways, I was saying that kind of carried over to. Every aspect of my life is very much, and I still am uh, maybe a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, so you know, want people want people to like me, and so I have this tendency to become exactly what I think they want me to be. the The toxic part of that is the fact that you know my own worth became dependent upon how I thought other people perceived me and if I could live up to their expectations or not. Yeah, that's kind of a background in a nutshell. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so how do you think the ways you grew up in church and all that stuff affect your spiritual life today?
1: So I think I had the first crack in that kind of certainty uh, when my my mother, who d- had decided to become a member of a, a similar independent Baptist church that she had been attending, because she was divorced, becoming a member was a problem. And so She was the whole reason that I knew what sacrificial love looked like. And so the fact that she was being told that she didn't make the cut for church membership was that first crack in my worldview or my certainty. I knew somehow in my heart that that didn't feel like Jesus, but I didn't know. I wanted to make sure (laughs) that lined up with, you know, Scripture or who Jesus really was. So I kind of set out to study the Gospels for myself and you know wasn't willing anymore to just take someone else's word for what God was like or what Jesus required of us and I kind of feel like I've been on that journey ever since. you know I've, I've said before to people that after I finished kind of studying, you know went to the library, checked out books, got got the gospels out and and there was a point where I remember just thinking, wait, this is all about love <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah. And so that's when things really started changing. You know, I kind of realized I'd been missing the forest for the trees. Like I knew it was about love, but it wasn't really. And if if God was love, as is in you know written in John, then then I'd peg God wrong. Yeah. So that kind of led to people say deconstructing, but I, I kind of refer to it for myself as kind of a remodeling of my faith. I don't know why that feels like it fits better, but it does. And hopefully remodeling through a lens of more love and grace centered, yeah, and so i I come to the realization that you know nothing I did or didn't do would cause God to love me less, and that really, yeah, that changed my whole world, and then also how I viewed other people changed after that. I'd also say, you know, I got I got some warnings along the way from, like I said, we lived all across the country. So some warnings of that's a s- questioning or, uh, you know, that's a slippery slope and, you know, you need to be careful or you're going to just study your way out of faith altogether. And I think in some ways they were right. It is a slippery slope, as in one question did lead to another question, led to another question. But for me, that has actually led to a a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I it. my question started with, you know, how did Jesus actually treat divorced women? And, and can you be a Christian and drink alcohol or work on Sundays? It, so it went to kind of more lifestyle type questions to then the bigger questions like, what about eternal conscious torment? What does the loving God look like in that mindset? Or, you know, penal substitutionary atonement? Like, so, it, yeah, so it just has... It has kind of snowballed, but instead of causing me to lose my faith, it's being able to ask those hard questions and have some doubts along the way have led to strengthening of my passion to follow Jesus.
0: So do you think the person you were back then um, is who you are now, or do you think you've changed in a lot of ways?
1: Definitely a change, and that's kind of what I mean by just the questioning has changed. Not only, you know, not... Yes, on theological topics, I've changed, but also I think the way I view other people changed. And I think that's what changed me more than anything, was I went from this mindset of thinking, I I always think of one person in particular that I actually did feel like I physically had to go back and apologize to, and just said, I'm so sorry that I treated you in a way that, you know, that made you feel like that if you just, you just needed to be a little more like me to be a better person or something. I, you know, I don't have the words exactly now for, but just said, I'm, I'm sorry that I did that. And, you know, they said, yeah, you, you did do that, but it's okay. And, you know, they graciously forgave me. And yeah, so I think that probably changed who I am as a person more than anything, just not only just for me, but the way I view other people. So, a lot of times deconstruction, I think, starts in a spot where you feel like you've been mistreated, mm-hmm. but you start to see the mistreatment of others, and maybe in ways you've even mistreated them. Mm-hmm. So even though it starts kind of personally, I think it broadens your view to what's going on with other people. Yeah. What topics
0: are you passionate about? I can tell you're passionate about just church and helping other people, mm-hmm. but... um. Along those lines or, or any other lines, what, what are you passionate about?
1: Yeah, so I love discussing topics of faith, as you can probably hear. Yes. It's kind of been like, you know, once I started that, it was something I love. But I think my, my experience of that has really led to a passion for trying to help other people who are experiencing some type of faith crisis. It might look a lot different than than mine, uh maybe more serious, way more serious even, but I want to help find those people find a place to talk about their doubts and their questions and just know that that's normal and it's actually a good sign of growth. Uh, it doesn't have to be something uh, to be afraid of, and you know, I, I want people to know that if they walked away from faith, or considering walking away because of something someone else told them, they had to believe, like, or that they had to. I, I know some people talk about this feeling of uh, I felt like I had to check my brain or my heart or both at the door of the church. Like, so if if that's how you felt, then. Maybe there is another way. I I, at least for me, I found another way. Another thing I hear is that, well, I believe I don't fill in the blank. (laughs) So I can so I can no longer be Christian. Well, I would say who told you that? (laughs) Um, Because our invitation, as as I read it and interpret in Scripture, is Jesus asks us to follow. By loving God and loving people and everything else can take a backseat to that. I would say deconstruction can be really hard at times. It can feel, and has felt for me, very lonely at times, but it's been worth it. There's a story uh, N.T. Wright tells where he talks about everything else is just rock and roll. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, if there was if there was something like... Big C Church, Mm -hmm. that I think I'm passionate about, would just be to kind of be the person and also maybe teach others to be people who do love first. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we've all felt the extreme polarization in the last, especially few years. And I think as followers of Jesus, we kind of I think we do have the answer. I'm not that it would create just perfectness here on Earth, but I think we could help bring people together. But I think we ha- we have some work to do. The point is not to just get everyone to think just like us or believe just like us. Um, I'm a fan of Brene Brown, as I think you are as well. Yes. And she has talks about, and she's not talking about it from a church perspective, but it hit home for me from a church perspective where she talks about common enemy intimacy. And I feel like that's what the church, so many churches, not all of them, but so many churches are founded on. We hate the same people or we perceive the same people as an enemy mm-hmm. and it's just not working. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And so um I think our if we get back to a place of sincere love and community and I, know, I think Jesus, you know, calls us to love our neighbor and if we could if we could get back to more of a place like that of Again, and so my mind's going, like I told you, I like to talk about these <laughs> things. So I think of the goods, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think that's one of the most known stories in Scripture. And so often we think, oh, well, that's about loving your enemies. And it is. I'm not at all denying that. But I think when you take kind of a closer contextual Reading of the Good Samaritan, there's some more lessons I think that we could really use right now in that same mindset of common enemy intimacy. Because, you know, it starts with, as a lot of people know, this expert in the law asking Jesus, What does it take to? you know, to, to go to heaven, to get eternal life, I think is how it's phrased. And, and he says, well, how do you read it and how do you interpret it? And he answers, love God and love your neighbor. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jesus says, yeah, that's it, right? And so being an, a rule follower, he sees a potential loophole, you know, and mm-hmm. asks, but who is my neighbor? And so we know how where the story goes from there. But the part I feel like at least I miss for a long time is who the person Jesus uses in that parable as the hero or the person who went away justified as inheriting eternal life in that story is the Samaritan, Mm -hmm. the one who didn't have the right beliefs. You know, people then, the Jews and Samaritans had different scriptures. Their scriptures looked different. They worshiped in different places. But yet Jesus uses them as the one who was justified. And so I think the lesson I take from that is I feel like sometimes in that common enemy intimacy, mm-hmm. we we look at people and we're put, kind of patrolling our borders of you're in and you're out. And I think the stories that Jesus tells throughout, or parables He tells throughout, shows us maybe we're not so good at deciding who's in and who's out, but our, our call is to just love people and welcome them where they are and for who they are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've never really thought about that Bible story like that, so that's really interesting. Yeah. The last question I have for you is, uh, what advice would you give someone who has been hurt by the church?
1: Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is just, I'm sorry. I hate, I hate that that is, you know, how the world or the church operates at times, but. Yeah, it's just know. I'd also say know that you're not alone. Lots of harm and hurt has been done in the name of religion. So just know there's a lot of people out there just like you. And my advice, I think, would be, you know, find someone that you can trust and talk to. That you know, one of those people that's going to love you no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, um, and if you I mean there are people who don't have that, even one person, so if not, I think I would recommend look for a therapist, maybe that there are some out there that specialize in religious trauma, so if you could find someone like that, I'm by no means any sort of professional in that field, but if someone needed like a safe place to talk or lament <laughs> i'm I'm always happy to listen and help in any way that I can so I don't know if maybe you could put my contact information yeah, in your definitely. notes or whatever. If someone does want to reach out, it is a passion of mine and and to a certain extent have been there myself. So,
0: Thank you, Tanya. Yeah, the thank you.
1: The <laughs> yeah, I appreciate Tanya it. Tanya
0: has been like just the best mentor to me this summer and If you know laura edgar my youth pastor they're so similar so it's been like having a laura away from home shout out to laura <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys for listening cool. <laughs>